right, well, good morning. So hello again. <laughs> it's always in it's interesting. I don't know how Ron does this when he leads worship and preaches because it's a big gear shift to go between the two. Um, so as I mentioned before, this morning's a little bit of a different morning. There's nothing like getting a text at 8 o'clock p.m. <laughs> telling me that I need to prepare something to preach this morning. <laughs> um, like, I, I got nothing. And so this morning I woke up at 5.30 and I was laying in my bed and I'm going, Lord, I've got nothing. Nothing. Blank, right? And, uh, but if you want me to speak something, you know, if you don't, we'll just pray and go home. You know, but if you want me to share something, then, you know, you're going to have to <laughs> show me, you know. So I went and sat on my couch, fixed my coffee. I'm drinking my coffee as I always do in the morning. Um, and I'm just kind of sitting there, just nothing, blank. Have you ever been there? It's just nothing. I got nothing. And I'm, so, I'm just like, Lord, you know, is there anything you want me to share this morning? And then, strangely, a friend of mine texted me at 6.30 a.m., which is a very strange time to get a text. I, I, I'm surprised you're up, she says. And then I just said, you know, pray for me because I... I think I'm supposed to share this morning, but I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to share. And so she just prayed for me and gave me a couple words of encouragement. And as soon as I put my phone down, I had a word. And the word was, what's up there? Faith. I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to talk about faith. And, um, and then he just started to kind of, you know, share a few more things, put a few more things in my heart. And I started writing. And so I'm not sure um, if I'll get everything out that... I wrote down this morning, I can barely read my writing, so <laughs> we'll just see what the Lord does. Um, so let's pray, and then, because I definitely need it this morning, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us today. Jesus, we just thank you that you're here, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Holy Spirit knows exactly what each person here needs to hear from your mouth today. Uh, from your word, and we thank you that you've given us your word, Lord, and that your word is truth, that your word um, brings life to us, and Lord, we just ask that you would give me your words uh, to share this morning from your heart, Lord, and just do what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just wondered um, how many of us, kind of take a little bit of a poll, um, has anyone this week or even this month, we can take it out this month, had any kind of anxiety about finances? Anybody had an anxiety about finances? I'm going to put my hand up. Anybody else here felt any anxiety about finances? Okay. Um, I, pretty much every day, you guys probably do this too, I look at my bank account. I look at all of the things that I'm going to have to pay for in the next few weeks or months. And I get a little panicky. Anybody ever had that feeling, that little bit of a panic, like, where is this going to come from? You know, I don't really know, you know. Um, anybody had anxiety about health-related issues going on? Anybody? Yeah. You know, those things are so stressful, especially when things are happening. You're not really sure. We've had a couple things happen in the past couple months, and we're not really sure what's going on. And then, of course, that goes back to financial anxiety, too, doesn't it? Because then you start thinking, great, you know, now I'm going to have to go to the specialist, and I'm going to have to pay for the x-rays, and I'm going to have to pay for the tests, and I'm going to have to pay for this. And then it, it kind of always goes back to, to money and time, right? Um, and then there's other things, right? There's school 
there's finances, there's health, and there's also things like just making decisions. You know, trying to decide what's the best decision to make. Um, how to, wh which way do I go? Like, do what job do I take? Or what decision do I make in this job? Or there's so many things that we tend to have anxiety about. So I want to talk this morning about faith in relationship to anxiety. Because this is something that the Lord has been speaking to me about and challenging me in. And it's a place where I have definitely not arrived yet that I am um, learning and growing little by little. Um, and just when I think I have got it figured out and I've got faith, something else happens and I, I realize that I don't have as much faith as I thought I did. So it's a process. So I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, of course, if we're going to talk about faith, right? And some of you are already quoting the verse in your head right now. Who has the verse in their head already and can quote it? Now, faith is the... Yes, okay, I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. We don't have slides this morning because I just could not make slides in one hour. I'm not that good at PowerPoint yet. I will be good at it eventually. I'm working on it, but I, there's no way. Uh, so Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the assurance, is what I have in mind. Some of you have substance, same thing, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When I look at my bank account, I absolutely cannot see how God is going to provide for my needs. But somehow he always does, right? Somehow. I don't know why I forget that, but I do. And we tend to forget these things. But I want us to go on and read the next couple verses. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. And I actually want us to focus a little bit on verse 3 today, because we always tend to, like, quote verse 1 about faith being the substance of things not seen, and, but we forget about verse 3 sometimes, and verse 3 really is the key to verse 1. Verse 3 is the key to walking in faith, and we're going to talk about that this morning, the key to walking in faith. Um, the first thing I want us to just kind of think about as we get into this is that a couple of things that faith is and some things that faith is not, okay? Faith is trust, absolute trust. Faith is being fully and firmly persuaded in something. And not even talking about God, we all have faith in some things. We are firmly persuaded, you know, as Ron's always showing us the chair, that the chair will hold us up when we sit down in it. Okay? We're firmly persuaded that when we get in our car, most of the time, it will start and take us where we need to go. Of course, there are exceptions to this, right? As my dad knows, his battery died this morning as he was coming <laughs> to church. So we have firm persuasion in things and hopefully we are firmly persuaded that God is who he says he is and that he will provide for us. That's faith, right? So faith is trust. It's being firmly persuaded. Here's what faith is not. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling. And I get messed up in that area sometimes. And sometimes my feelings don't really feel like faith. 
and I have to step beyond my feelings into faith, which is not an emotion. Okay, that's, that's one to think on a little bit and chew on a little bit. Faith is not a feeling. Okay, so thinking about that, we're going we're gonna to talk about verse 3 just a little bit. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What is that talking about? Well, the earth belongs to who? The Lord. So let's turn to Psalm 24. And you know that Ron likes to do Bible drill Sundays where we, we turn to a lot of verses, and it will probably be kind of similar this morning because I just love the word, and I, it's where the answers are. So that's where we have to get, go for the answers. So we're going to do a lot of flipping this morning. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth, the earth is the Lord's, and all it contains. Everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. The world and those who dwell in it, that's us. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. God made the earth. Okay? And so what I'm going to ask us to do this morning is we're thinking about faith and trusting God beyond what we feel, beyond our emotions, but going into another place beyond our feelings of trust. We need to take a step back, and what I'm going to ask us to do this morning is step back and take a wide-angle view for a minute, okay? It's really easy to get into our little dot in the universe, okay? So where we live here in Marietta, Georgia, or Kennesaw, Georgia, or Dallas, wherever you live, that's a dot, ever think about that? Those are the things that will keep you awake at night if you start really thinking about how small we really are in relation to the universe. But we're a dot, okay? And we're a dot in an enormous universe that God made. The universe is not as big as God, okay? Think about the vastness of the universe. When you've seen the pictures of the galaxies and the stars and the planets, God's bigger than that because God made all of that. God is the creator. Okay? We also need to remember something else in our wide-angle view. All right? God is perfect. He's perfect in every way. There is no flaw. There is no imperfection. There is nothing bad in God. God is good. He is perfect. He cannot lie. There is no evil in him. There is no, um, no impurity in him. He is perfection. So when he made this earth, I want you to think for a minute if you've ever made, I mean, when you were a kid, you know the little cans of Play-Doh that you'd be so excited when your mom got them from the store. The sto See, my mom always made homemade Play-Doh. And um, it was fun, but it wasn't like the store-bought Play-Doh. And every now and then, right, we'd get the store-bought Play-Doh. And that Play-Doh was so nice and smooth and, like, it was exciting to pop that lid, you know, and, and get, yeah, the smell. You remember the smell? You know, some of you might have actually have tried to eat it. Um, you don't need to confess that, but I had a child that ate Play-Doh. Um, so, because it does, you know, it kind of smells good. So, <laughs> Chris is like, no. 
So we'd get that Play-Doh, and what would we do with it? We would sculpt something, right? And we'd sculpt maybe an animal, okay? And then, because, you know, I was kind of imaginative, I might take the animal and pretend with the animal and play with the animal. I, but the point is that I could do whatever I wanted with that sculpture that I made because I was the sculptor. I made it. It was my sculpture, and I could play with it, or I could squish it, or I could put it back in the canister, or I could give it to someone else. It was my, it was my sculpture, right? If you've ever painted a picture, you get to decide what you do with that art. It's yours, right? So I want you to think for a minute of this universe, of this entire world of the earth, and all its amazing components was created by a master artist who's perfect in every way, who made the earth with no flaws, no imperfections. It was a perfect piece of art. It was perfect. And it was his. And it is his because he made it. And when you make something, you get to make the rules. And you get to design the systems that are going to work. And because guess what? You're the ruler over this thing. Okay? God is the ruler over this planet we call Earth because he made it. Very simple, right? But we forget this, don't we? Sometimes we forget this. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the creator. He made all the rules. All right? So what did he do? He made just this beautiful creation. You know, just go out into a forest sometime and stand in the middle of it, and you'll get a little glimpse. And this is, you know, a fallen world. Imagine what it looked like when it was first created. It was perfect. So he made this beautiful, you know, plants and trees and, and the oceans and the birds and the, and the flowers and I mean, all the beautiful things in nature. Then he decided to make animals, and he made all the animals. And then the last thing he created was the very best of all. He made what? Man. And he made man in his image, and then he made woman out of the man, and then he breathed the breath of life into man. What a beautiful thing. In Hebrew, that's called the ruach. I can't say it properly, I'm sure. Ruach. And that's his breath. He gave man his breath, and he brought man to life. And he gave man a, a job. And woman, a job, and he said, I want you guys to fill the earth. I want you to have dominion over this earth. I want you to rule over these animals and this creation, and I want you to fill it. And what were they going to fill it with? Perfection. God's glory and perfection, because they were the image of God. So if the image of God was, was creating you know, and, and filling and being fruitful and multiplying, this whole earth was supposed to be beautiful and perfect. Only we all know what happened next, right? Man and woman rebelled. And there was one tree they weren't supposed to touch. They had everything else given to them freely. But that one tree, it's just like when you tell your child, don't touch that cookie. What do they want to do as soon as you tell them not to touch it? They want to touch it, right? Or I heard somebody recently say, if you see a sign that says stay off the grass, immediately you want to get on the grass. Right, because humans, we have this rebellious streak in us, and it started there. Okay, so the man and the woman, they ate that fruit, they disobeyed God, and in doing that, they rebelled against the one who created them and made this beautiful place for them to live in. And instantly, 
their fellowship with their creator and their connection with their creator was broken instantly because rebellion led to sin coming into the world. And ever since, we know the story, every person has been born with sin. Every person has been born into rebellion against the creator. Is he still the king? He's still the king, but man has rebelled against their king. All right? So wide-angle view, remember. We're looking at the big picture of this world, right? So what did Jesus, what did God do? Well, time goes on, and you can read through the Old Testament, and you can read through the New Testament. We don't have time for that today. But the whole Bible really is the story of what happened from that time in the Garden of Eden when man rebelled to what's going to happen in the future. It's the whole timeline. God sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, because God is three, right? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He sent his son to come and rescue us. And how did he do that? His son came, he died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. He became the atoning sacrifice. He became a substitute for us, and he died in our place because a few things happened when this rebellion came into the world. Creation is now under a curse. Man is now under God's wrath, and man is dead. Okay, so let's look at Ephesians 2. And Ron has been preaching out of here, I believe, Ephesians 2, he's been talking about grace and faith and justification and all of these things that are so essential to our beliefs as Christians. So essential. And so I want us to, to just review for a minute Ephesians 2, 1. And we're going to read for a few verses. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's what happened in the garden. That's what happened in the fall. And the result of that is that every human being since Adam and Eve has been born dead. And when you're dead, you're helpless. A dead person can do nothing. A dead person can do nothing to raise themselves to life. A dead person can do nothing to help anyone else or to help themselves. They're dead. And if you think about the fact that you were born that way, there's nothing that you could have done to change that. There's nothing you could have, you know, done because it is what you have inherited. You've inherited death. Okay, real encouraging, right? And then verse 3, among them we all, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even the wrath. There's the wrath I was just talking about, the death and the wrath. But God, remember Ron preached on this a few weeks ago? That was so powerful when he said, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ in order that in the ages to come 
he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. You see how this connects to our faith? Okay. By grace you have been saved through faith. Okay. What is faith again? Faith is trust, a firm persuasion, trusting in God. His grace, as we see in this passage, there's nothing we could do to earn it. And, you know, it's something that we can say, and, and it's very easy to go around talking about God's grace, and yeah, by God's grace, by God's grace we'll do this, God's grace. But sometimes we don't stop and think about how amazing God's grace really is. His grace is equally offered to all, no matter what. Before God's grace, we're all on an equal plane. There's no, I'm better than you. You're worse than me. We're all helpless. And, and we really don't like that because it takes all of the pride away, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't matter how hard I work or how much good I do or, or how much I achieve. It's all the same before God. It's not enough. <laughs> We're dead without him. We are nothing without the grace of God. And when we realize that, it changes the way our faith works in us. Because when we realize that our faith, we're putting our faith in the one who rules over the entire world, who made the world, who offered grace to us, who came into this world. You know, a lot of people will ask you, anybody ever asked you, why does God allow suffering into the world? That's like the number one question people ask when you're trying to share Jesus with them. Why did, well, if God's real, why does he allow people to suffer? Why does he allow children to suffer? Why are children hungry? Why this? And they'll ask you all these questions. Well, that's a question we'll probably never be able to fully answer because it's, it's one of those that's hard to understand. But we do know this. We know that our creator came into this world and suffered with us. So the question is not really, or the answer is not really, why does God allow suffering? The answer is, why ever it happens, he came into the world and endured suffering, some of the worst suffering possible. He was killed on a cross in a torturous death for us. He experienced human emotion. He experienced human pain. He allowed himself to experience all of these things. He, it's, that's why it says in the word God with us. He came to us and suffered with us. That's amazing. What king would do that? He didn't have to. You know, he could have just squashed the earth like he's Plato. But no, he loved this world for God so loved the world. He loved us. What does all this have to do with trusting in our finances, in our health, in our decisions. Well, the first thing is we need to realize who it is we're trusting. We're trusting the creator of the universe who holds everything together in this universe by his power. The reason why 
this little planet spinning in outer space is continuing to go on is because of the creator of it all. He keeps it going. That's who we're trusting, the creator. The second thing is that we realize that what our eyes see in our little tiny dot that we live in is not the big picture. But our creator, because he's so huge and amazing, he sees the big picture. He sees it all. Let's turn to Matthew 6. I've been kind of living in Matthew 6 lately. Now, here's, here's what happens, all right? We come to know Jesus. We receive the grace that he gives us. And when we receive salvation and we receive God's grace, the Bible says that we become a new person, a new creature in Christ. The, the Bible teaches us in Romans that we are buried with him and then we're raised with him. We, we actually, when he died on the cross, our old person died with him. And we became a new creation. So we're a new creation, which means we're a part of God's kingdom now. We're a part of God's family now. You know, and all of us that have received salvation, we're a part of the kingdom of God. We're a part of this, this kingdom that, you know, one day in Revelation 21, it tells us Jesus is going to return to earth. And he's going to, there's going to be a new heaven and the new earth. All the brokenness, all the pain, all of it's going to go away. And things are going to be as they were supposed to be from the beginning. Perfect. And we're going to be with Jesus in that. And that's hope that we have for the future. But we live in the right now. And the right now is full of pain and sickness and brokenness and struggles and challenges and disappointments and, and relationship challenges and all of those things that are in this world. We still have to live in this world even as a new person. And this is where the tension comes in. And this is where the tension of Matthew 6 comes in. Start at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon is a funny word. It really means riches, money, possessions, it's the stuff, okay? It's the money. It's the stuff of this life that we work so hard to get, all right? So we live in this world, and we have a choice, all right? We can live with the goal of gaining possessions, of getting money, of climbing the corporate ladder and gaining um, prestige at work, of um, getting lots of, you know, people are really into social media now, getting as many followers as possible. The whole thing now is how many followers do you have on social media, you know? Um, I read a, 
Yeah, I, I read a thing uh, recently about publishing a book. And it said that book publishers won't even look at your manuscript unless you have at least 20,000 people following you on social media. I said, well, that ends me ever wanting to get published, you know. But that's something people really aspire to now is getting, you know, being, the, the word is being an influencer now, right? We all want to be influencers, right? There are many goals that we have in life. And they're not necessarily bad goals. They can be good goals. You know, it's good to want to buy a house and be able to buy a car and pay your bills. You know, I'm just happy if I can pay my bills most months. But they're good things. But very quickly, that can become our focus. That can become what we're living for. That becomes what we're focusing on. And that becomes what we're getting up each morning and motivated by. Right? We, we tend to be motivated by things that we can see. You know, I got to get up and I got to go to work so I can make money so I can buy that whatever it is. And that becomes the goal in our life. And he says here in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. And I think of it like this. You know, I'm holding on to, I'm holding on to the stuff that I want. And meanwhile, God has something much bigger he wants to give me. I mean, his kingdom. Think about that for a minute. What's involved in the kingdom of God? I mean, for starters, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, those are amazing things that we have in Christ. And I, I want the stuff, but I also want that too. So we're like, I want the stuff. I want, I want all these things that you have for me, God, but I also want the stuff. But I also want the things you have for me, but I also want the stuff. And we're serving two masters, right? And when it, the way we know is when we have to make decisions because when we have decisions to make, what motivates our decisions? Are our decisions made with, God, what do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? Or are decisions made with pleasing other people or what's going to give me the most money? What's going to you know, make me feel more safe and comfortable and secure. And so we hold on to these things, and guess what? Our hands are full. And when our hands are full, we can't take what he has for us because our hands are full. We're holding on to the stuff. Yeah? And so what we have to do is let go of the stuff. We have to say, you know what? I'm serving you, God. You're my master. You're my king. You're my Lord. I want what you have for me. I want you. I want Jesus. It takes letting go. And I love what the next part of this says. Now, it's interesting because last week I was really having some struggles with anxiety about money particularly. All right? And I was just sitting with the Lord in the morning, and I was talking to him about it. I was like, Lord, you know, I don't really know how you're going to do this. I, I, my typical prayer lately has been, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to trust you. Anybody ever prayed that? That's a prayer of faith, okay? And so 
I, of course, I know these verses in Matthew 6. It's one of my go-tos. You know, you have those go-to Bible verses that when you're struggling, you go there because you know it's going to offer you comfort and hope. So I opened my Bible. I said, I'm going to read Matthew 6. That's going to help me right now. So I read at verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil and they don't spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And now with the grocery prices, this is not, you know, a real thing for us. I mean, I go to the grocery store sometimes and I'm looking at these prices and I'm going, Lord, how are we going to keep eating? There's six of us. And he reminds me of, this, of these verses. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And here it is. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I've read that so many times. And I've encouraged myself with that so many times. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Be not anxious. Don't worry about the food or the clothes. But I never really noticed how that was linked to verse 24. Sometimes we read the word and we just unconsciously separate parts of the word out. And we pick the part that really speaks to us and we forget what came before it. And it the Lord really highlighted to me this particular day when I was really struggling. He said, back up and look at 24 in light of that. So in light of don't worry about the food, don't worry about the clothes, seek his kingdom first. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, when we put our faith and our trust in God, we're not serving money. We're not allowing money and things to dictate to us what we need to worry about. Because they're a side thing. They'll come, right? His kingdom is what we're about. And sometimes he will call you to do something that seems foolish in man's eyes you know it's kind of foolish in man's eyes to pastor a church that's small where you're not sure if you're going to have the paycheck every week isn't it I mean in man's eyes in the world's eyes that's foolish you need a stable income you need to make sure that it's you know going to be there for you well where is that in the bible right? That's a world's mentality of I need stability. 
I need security. I need to have, that's not God's, God's economy. God's economy is I need you to trust me and ask me what I want to do with your life. And what I want to do with your life may involve you trusting me day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. You may not see where the money is coming from tomorrow, but trust me because I promise to care for you even more than I care for the birds. See, that's faith. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is trust. And faith is doing what God has called us to do even when we don't see how it's going to work out. And sometimes, in spite of our feelings, pushing those aside and saying, you know what, I feel really panicky right now, but I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to keep doing what Jesus said. I'm going to fix my eyes on him, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm going to run the race, and I'm going to keep going forward. Imagine if this entire church, 60 of us maybe in here today, I haven't counted. Imagine if every one of us had that mindset. I'm going to do what you tell me to do no matter what. What amazing things could happen with total surrender and trust. God doesn't ever fail us. So to close, let's just read Hebrews one more time. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're called to set our eyes. It says in Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on things of this world. For you have died with Christ and your life is hidden with him. God's calling us to set our minds on his kingdom and his purposes, the things we can't see. It's the things we can see that pull at us. It's the things we see that get a hold of us, that cause us anxiety. It's the things we can see. We need to focus on him this morning. So the question this morning is, what is God calling you to let go of? What security have you been holding on to that's not from him, that's something that this world provides. Maybe it's things, maybe it's wanting things. You know, I can remember when I was younger, it was a real struggle for me to look at other people who had really nice houses and to feel like my house is small, my furniture's old, my couch is really old, it's getting older and saggier, it's starting to kind of sink in at the middle. When you sit in it, everybody falls into the middle. It's pretty sad little couch. But it's, it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Every day I look at my couch and I go, ugh, does it really matter? Because I have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in me. I'm part of his kingdom. I have an inheritance with him that's immeasurable that's perfect and priceless, and this life is so short, and eternity is so long we can't even comprehend it. That's our inheritance. So let's get our eyes off of this world. Let's put them on Jesus and remember why we're even here. We're here for him. We're his. We belong to him. He made us. So I want to just close in prayer. 
you want to do that song, Lauren? Okay, we're going we're gonna to close in prayer and we're going to sing. Um, I just felt like that song that we sang um, at the end of our set this morning that the Lord just wanted us to sing it one more time in light of our faith. So let's pray and then we're going to just close out with a song this morning.